You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. All right, off to the races. We have been doing a series now. Uh, Steve, by the way, is off on vacation with his family. I just uh, let's keep him in his prayers that they will have a, just a fantastic time of joy and replenishing. He's off with his new baby and his two other girls and his wife, and they're uh, off for a couple of, uh, I think, two, maybe one Sunday. I'm not sure when they're coming back, but they are. He is coming back. I've told him, <laughs> you got to come back. Um, so anyway, uh, that's where he's at. So that's why I'm up today. But I'm going to continue in the same series that he's been starting, and we call it the story of the Bible. And the, the point of the whole thing is this. There is really just one story. It's a collection of individual uh, narrative accounts, great poetry, some prophetic writings. Uh, but all this really is unified. It is every number, every place, every, every page, every person is is in there by design. God designed this, this uh, word to be a perfect unified story that all points to his son Jesus and the work he would do to redeem his creation. That's what it's all about. And so we're trying to kind of walk through this and go through some Old Testament passages and show how they are hyperlinked, if you will. I'm, I'm getting real modern. Hyperlinked to these New Testament times and Jesus and his life. And uh, so I'm going to recap a little. So uh, Steve started off with Genesis and kind of how God did creation and how we fell and so forth. So God makes this perfect order out of chaos and darkness, and he brings light and order and perfection to everything. And, it's, and then he puts man in it, and he gives man a charge. He goes, what your job is going to be, what, how I want you to roll in my creation is, I want you to walk with me, commune with me, and you will rule and subdue the earth. That was the command. If you go back and read Genesis 1, rule and subdue the earth. But it, was, it, it didn't say it in the, in, in the actual verse, but we were intended to do it with God's delegated authority. We were never going to do it on our own. We were going to do it through God's strength and God's authority, right? So he gave us some, some rules. And um, so we were doing that, and it lasted, you know, like in, in this book right here, which is what we call the Bible, it lasted to like page two and a half. <laughs> we got like to page three, we're like, no, we blew it. So what we did is we decided, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, we decided that this image bearing uh, to the world, would, that our image was going to be good enough. Somehow, uh, why would I need God's delegated authority? He's made me a lot like him. I can just, I, can, I, I think I can run this, you know? Um, I, can, I can govern myself. I can govern the world. I, I don't have to have God do that. I think I'll just take the wheel. And when, it, when we did that, all of creation went sideways. All of the order and the beauty turned to darkness and chaos, and everything starts unraveling. And scientifically, we see this. Everything's breaking down. But mostly, our image was corrupted. 
And Steve's been using this mirror up here for a few weeks as this idea where, um, oh, and by the way, he's been fuddling with it and fighting with it, and so I came in extra early today, spent some time on it, and I got it to where it's working now. Um, gosh, I mean, I spent like 30, 40 seconds getting this thing working. So I, you know, I, I hesitate to make fun of Steve because the minute I do, it's going to go, but I, it, 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 I'm sorry, anyway pretty easy. I think there was tape involved, right, Lonnie? His... So anyway, here's how it's supposed to be. We are the mirror. We kind of play two roles here. We are the mirror to God's creation. We're supposed to be this way, so God, and he's not really up there, but in our minds we look at God's image was come and going to reflect off of us and into creation. Not just his image, but by his image, we mean his authority, his power, his strength, his plan. It's going to bounce right off of us, through us, if you will, into creation. What we did is this. Oh, I think I look pretty good. Hey, that, actually, that tie's not bad today. So. We suddenly we're looking at ourselves and go, you know what? I look up. I got an image that's pretty similar to God. I think I could just do this. So two things happen. We quit looking into the mirror like this, where when we look to see what we're supposed to be doing, we, we only see God, and then we do what he does, and we say what he says, which is exactly what Jesus said, and to doing this, where we go, I think I look pretty good. Oh, yeah, I can look at me, and I can have a discussion with me, and I can decide how things are going to roll, and that's what happened. So the image, though, now is no longer God's image. It's this corrupted, broken version of God's image. And here's the problem with that. We desired only to serve ourselves out of that. You see, we were never supposed to be ruling ourselves. We were never supposed to self-govern. We were never supposed to have freedom to decide for ourselves. We were always made to be subject to something. And in God's perfect plan, it was to be subject to him. We were supposed to be servants, slaves, if you will, to God. That's a bad word in today's, in today's world, but let me tell you, God is a perfect master. He's a master that is merciful and, and strength-giving and uplifting and life-giving. That's the kind of master we were intended to be enslaved to. But every other master that's not God is a master that's merciless and dark and deceptive and broken and cruel. And now we've decided to serve that. And guess what we call that? Sin. We are slaves by our own choice to sin. And we're in bondage and we don't even know it. We're in bondage and don't even recognize it. And this picture of slavery to something that's not God is repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. Over and over again. You just see it over and over again. And it's because man continually decides he's going to choose his own way. He's going to do what, what it says in, in some of the prophets, I mean, some of the, uh, the kings, the books, books in, in the kings says, we were doing right, we were doing what was right in our own eyes. I'll decide. I'll use my own authority to decide what's good and what's bad. And that happens over and over. And it leads to this way of doing things that's corrupt. 
and broken and dark. But every time it would get to its darkest, deepest, ugliest place, God would come and he would make a way to rescue his people out of that bondage and into potential freedom. And every time we would take that freedom and we would have an ever too short period of trust where we would walk with him and pretty soon, the minute it kind of get a little ease and things are kind of chilling, we decide, oh, my image is pretty good. I think I can, I got some authority. God's just made me with some of that. I think I can run this. And we do it all over again. It's just this, it's just repeat cycle, repeat cycle. And we're going to look at one of these stories specifically. Uh, it's probably the most famous story of uh, slavery and, uh, and uh, recovery out of slavery in, in all of scripture. And it's the story of how God moved his people out of bondage in Egypt into freedom in the promised land. And so uh, what, I'm going to set this up and then we'll get into our actual scripture passage. So here's what's happened. Through a series of miracles, God has moved his people into the land of Egypt. And when they are in Egypt, they are super fruitful. They multiply. They're so prosperous. It is quite amazing. They grow millions strong. Um, and, but they're in this land of Egypt. And so the king and the leaders in Egypt, who, by the way, rule the entire known world basically at that time. They rule from the west of Egypt all the way to the Persian Gulf, to the Euphrates. I mean, way over that whole Arabian Peninsula. They, they, were, they were large and in charge in the world. And then they got these people that are really growing prosperous and big and plentiful in their nation. And they get nervous. They think these people could raise up and be a rival to us. We've got to put a stop to that. And so in as, as cruel and merciless masters, like I talked about, they decide they're going to kill all the babies. Now, I, can, you know, I can reduce head count because they won't be able to reproduce. We'll just, we'll just weed them out by DNA. They'll have, to, they'll have to mate with Egyptians, and pretty soon their people will be gone. And, and so they do that. They kill all the babies. But God always has a plan. God rescues one baby, one baby, we know to be Moses, and through, again, this series of crazy, miraculous things. You couldn't write this in a Hollywood script. I mean, you just can't. Uh, this baby gets rescued by a daughter of the king. He gets raised in the palace as a prince of Egypt, and he rises to power because God has favor on him, and he gets put in this great position. All the time, he doesn't know he's actually a Jew. He's an Israelite. He doesn't know it. He finds out he's an Israelite as, adult, as an adult, and it rocks his world, changes everything. He goes out, and he starts looking at his people, trying to make a connection, trying to figure out who he is. And uh, he sees one day how merciless and how hateful the Egyptians are over his people now. And he sees a man being beaten by an Egyptian guard, and he raises up and he murders the guard. Now it's on. Because now he's like, oh, dude, this is a death penalty for me. This is, I don't care who I am. This is not, they know I'm, they know I'm actually not really Egyptian. This is not going to go well. So he flees. He leaves. He leaves Egypt. He goes to another land. And he ends up settling down with a family. He marries a lady. And he's working for this, his wife's dad. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. So this is in uh, Exodus chapter 3. This is the first 10 verses. Just gonna, you can read through with me. It's kind of a long passage. We're going to read through it 
uh, in the word here. It says, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So that's who Jethro is. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, well, I must turn aside now and see the marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Sorry, just make sure you're awake. And he said, Moses says, here I am. And then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up that to the land, uh, up to a land, good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. I want to point something out here, just because it struck me funny as I was reading this. This is a little, a little mini sidetrack, so we'll get right back on track. There's a burning bush in the middle of the desert, and it's not being burned up. I don't think I would say, well, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous wonder. I think I'd be like, what? <laughs> Whipping out my iPhone, baby. Get some pictures of that. Get a video. I'm going to get a million likes, right? It's just, I just think that the author kind of underplays this. I'm sure Moses was like, are you kidding me? Not, oh, I must turn aside to see this marvelous sight. I just, I'm oh, sorry. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. I just, I just, it struck me funny. I just, okay. But I'm going to point out a couple things before we dig, uh, before we get too close. Uh, I mean, now, now I'm going to get a little closer. God's laying out his plan. Like I said, he always, he always makes a way. He's going to lay this out. He says, I've noticed my people are suffering, and uh, I've heard them groan. I've heard them cry, and I've got a plan to rescue them. And, oh, by the way, you're going to head up the operation. Can you imagine you think Moses, when he fled Egypt, had any idea this was going to happen? And so a few verses, if we, if we kept reading, what you would see is Moses argues. I think there's like seven specific arguments Moses makes back to God, trying to talk him out of it, trying to get out of the assignment. It's like, uh, you know, maybe I'm not a very good speaker, or uh, they're not going to believe me. I'm just nobody. First of all, I killed somebody. I, can I even go back there? Because all these stupid things, God finally prevails and convinces him Hey, it's my strength. You're just, you're just a tool. Don't be a tool. Uh, he is. He's just a tool. He says, you're just, I'm just going to use you, but I'm doing it. And I want you to notice the similarity here, this little interaction. We didn't read the interaction, but I want to. But I'm, Moses' response is exactly what we see. I mean, I'm sorry, God's command to Moses is exactly what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Remember, I've talked about these hyperlinks. Everything's connected to everything. 
God is giving him a command, I want you to carry out my will for my creation, my people, in my strength. That's what he told Adam. This is, this is Genesis 1 and 2 all over again. He's giving Moses an opportunity to be the image of God one more time. Moses' response, on the other hand, harkens back to maybe a little later in Genesis. I'm winking at you, Genesis 3, right? Where he tries to see in his own, with, see with my own eyes and my own understanding. And, and, and well, God, I really think in all my wisdom and authority and my understanding, I think you should go this way. You should send someone else. Or maybe it's, it's just not going to work out. Your plan really isn't that great, God. That's exactly what Adam said when he, when he looked at the fruit and said, God, come on. I mean, you made the fruit beautiful. I can tell it's going to be good. I don't know why you can't see this. I can see this. We're seeing with our own eyes. And that's always the problem. So God's laying out this plan by which his people are going to be rescued. And, and as he lays it out and Moses responds, it's, it's Genesis 1, 2, and 3 all over again. It's always a repeating thing. The problem is, like I said before, self-governance was never in God's plan for his creation. He would always be the superior reigning over creation. Everything under him was delegated and subjected to him. Because governing ourselves always leads to bad decisions, darkness, death, and sin. Every single time. So as we get ready to link this to the way how this now hyperlinks and points to Jesus, I want you to notice one other thing before we jump right to that. God makes it personal. He makes it personal here. He doesn't, this isn't Moses going, you know what? I hearken back to the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, yeah, I, we probably should, it wasn't like that at all. He didn't, he didn't bump into some other guys on the road. He said, you know, maybe, maybe you guys should, should, Try to image God a little better, but no. God comes down and he, and he, and he, and he gets Moses' attention and, then Mo, and, and Moses encounters him directly. God wants to make himself known to, to us so that we can encounter him. He makes himself known, burning bush. Moses turns aside in that crazy... Anyway... Moses turns aside and then goes over and encounters the living God. It's the same picture we see with Jesus' teaching. Same picture. Everywhere Jesus went, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't uh, lifting himself up. Everywhere he went, he was making God known to people. The problem was that people didn't recognize this God he was making known because they didn't recognize and understand the scriptures from the past. All those scriptures that were pointing to Jesus, they didn't read them right. They didn't understand what God was doing. See, they did the same thing we do today. And that's, uh, they tried to apply the way they saw the world, their, their idea of the way things are, they tried to apply that to the scriptures as they read them. So the filter they read scriptures through was their own understanding already. That's, that's, that's completely backwards. What we're supposed to be doing is go open-minded to the scriptures and let the scriptures then teach us how we understand the world. If you take what you think you already know to scripture, you're going to get a corrupted version of the scripture and you're going to end up with your ever-present corrupted image of God because it's not his image, it's a filtered image. 
and he doesn't need your filter at all. Now get back to this idea of freedom because I've talked about that and you go, so David, what does this got to do with freedom? I'm glad you asked. Jesus spoke over and over again about freedom and what he was doing by revealing and making known the Father. He was going to offer us freedom. I want to just give you a few examples here. And this is just three, but there are countless. Uh, And Luke 4 says this, He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Sounds just like Exodus. And John 8 Uh, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed, he's talking to believers. These are people that are already, have already followed, you know, taken on what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? Will set you free. It gives you freedom. And then just a couple verses later in that same conversation, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. I think I just said that when I was explaining the fall. But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. The eternal freedom of Jesus supersedes the temporary slavery to sin because it's greater. I want to pay a little closer attention to this last quote there, and it's because this is talked about being slaves to sin. Can you see how this is kind of all blending? Can you see what slavery and oppression is and how it's apart from God and everything apart from God is not God, and if it's not God, it's something else, and everything else is sin. We're no longer image bearers. In our lost state, without Christ, we're no longer image bearers. What we are is we're image bearers of our new corrupted version of the image. There's no other option. You are either, you either bear the true image of God in whom everything beautiful, everything pure, everything righteous, everything good exists or you're not. There's not like a middle ground because God owns everything that is light, everything that is not darkness, the good, the pure, the true, the right, the justice, that God owns that. And if you're not bearing all of that completely and correctly, then you're bearing something else. And he doesn't own that. And it's corrupted and it's wicked and dark and sinful. We're slaves to it. We're born and we quickly begin to take on this corrupted nature, this corrupted image, because we fall into it so easily because our flesh is broken. And we don't usually even know it. Now, we can still possess some of the attributes of God, so don't, I'm not saying, so because we're made in God's image, He still made you. You can be nice and courteous, and you can be thoughtful, and you can be gracious, you can be humble, you can be any one of these things, but you'll never be completely those things in and of yourself. You can look in that mirror and see some things that look like God, but at the end of the day, you're still just looking at you. You, You're not doing this. 
You're doing this. This is never going to give you the image of God. And, and what we do, at the end of the day, regardless, everybody, whether you're a believer, whether you're an atheist, whatever, you are actually trying to be the image of God. You're trying to, it's, it's built within you to chase after God's likeness because that's who made you. We call it things like this. I'm just trying to find myself. I, I, I just want to have meaning in my life. You don't have to be a church person to say those phrases. You could say, I'm looking for a purpose. Just, I want to have, I want to have a, something to guide my life. Well, guess what you're looking for? You're looking to look like he who made you because that's the only place there's perfect peace, perfect purpose, perfect direction. But after everything settles, you can try all of that. You can get your little purpose here on earth. You can have your little pet project. You can, be, you can save the whales and you can give water to people in Haiti. And those are good things. But they're not the complete picture. Because what we're doing is we're looking in this mirror constantly to see what we look like. So I'm like, hey, you know what I need to do? Man, that's crooked. What in the world? And so, but we're still seeing ourselves. What we should be doing is this. And we look in that, and we see God. And then we go, oh my gosh, that's, I don't look like that. I got, whew, I, got this, I got this thing in my life that's not even in that picture at all. I got, that's out. Oh, I, man, I, I've been talking about this thing. That, he's not talking about that. That's out. That's how, we, that's how God bears his image through us. And when we do that, we're also the mirror. When other people look at you, they're not looking at you because you've cut out all of you. Because you were looking at him. And so now you're reflecting God to the world. That's how it's supposed to work. And what was new about Jesus' teaching is now he was exposing to us, hey, um, your, mirrors need, your mirror needs adjusting. You, that's your mirror, man. And, and he also, then he says, and, and look at that image. You, and he cleans it off. He says, you weren't looking correctly in your own image because look at it now. And he says, look how corrupt it is. And you, for the first time, you get to see it. He gets to expose to your eyes your corruption, how you're not the image of God. He gives us an opportunity to see then that that image, this image, leads to death and destruction. He's pointing it out. For the first time, you're getting, he's exposing that for you. And that sounds pretty like, oh, great, now what? Well, he didn't leave it there. Praise God, he didn't leave us there. He said, oh, and by the way, I'm also teaching you God has a plan to correct this. God has a plan to fix your image. He's going to lead us into places and in ways that reflect God's glory, that will be the full likeness of his image. If we hearken back to the Moses story, God's saying, I'm going to lead you to a land that is rich in milk and honey, a way of living that's full of all of those things that are good and pure. Jesus would then go on and he would defeat sin and death. And he defeated them how? By enduring them. He encountered death. He encountered sin. And it crushed him. But God, through his power, then raised him on the other side. Which is now victory. He says, you know what? I got more power than death. I got more power than sin. Those things aren't as strong as God is. Those things aren't as strong as Jesus is because he was raised on the other side of them after walking through them. This is really good news. You can be released from the shackles of self-governance. 
released from the shackles into freedom again through Christ. Freedom to walk in the image of God. Walking in his image. That's, that's Genesis 1 and 2 again. Post-Exodus for like 15 seconds, right? Before they blew it again. And here's the other good part of this. It's offered freely to everybody. Everybody gets the offer. All you have to do is receive it. You just receive this gift. Jesus died for this very purpose, so that he could be raised again. And in his resurrection, to show that he was not, he was not powerless against those things that are dark. Death no longer holds power for us who follow him either. Sin no longer holds power for those who follow him either. Darkness, corruption, they no longer hold power over those of you who follow Jesus. He wants to free you. Will you let him? I'm going to finish by talking about this freedom for a second because it's a word that has a lot of baggage with it, particularly in our culture. Um, when we're freed, I want you to recognize this. We're always freed from something, and we're always freed into something. Because like I've said about three times now, we're never freed to ourselves because we were never created to govern ourselves. We were only created to be subject to something. Originally subject to God, but we decided we would try some other stuff. And this freedom that God offers means we align ourselves under a new master. We become slaves again, but to the good and gracious and pure and loving master, not to the merciless, dark, decaying master that this world is. Is this world treated you well? How's the world going, by the way? How's our nation going? We can't even govern ourselves. How are we going to govern God's creation? How's our culture doing? Anybody want to talk politics? No, nobody wants to talk that. It's broken and corrupt. It's a product of this world, something that's not God. God wants to free us from slavery to sin. And sin just represents everything that's not God. But he also wants us to free us to live under his authority. This perfect, peaceful, joyful life. You see, when we submit our whole lives to God, we start to take on his attributes. We start to begin to look like God. We do, start doing this again. God's tilting the mirror, tilting the mirror. Sanctification, right? God roots out the bad stuff and starts making you look more and more like him. And every time you turn now to see how you're doing, you have the correct comparison. We're comparing to this, this nature, this attribute, this perfection, not our own because we don't have any of ourselves. We were never intended to. So our lives should start to reflect the image of God. And, I, and this, is, this is a hard word. If it's not, if, you, if you're following Jesus and nothing in your life is beginning to shape and change like his, I would submit that maybe you've never truly met God through his son, Jesus. 
That's a hard word. He won't leave you unchanged. He can't. Once we have the Spirit of God living in us, which is exactly what the Bible says happens, it's Christ who walks out our lives. Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And he meant it. The fruit that comes from God's Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, selflessness, and gentleness. If, if, the, if that's not the fruit, or you're not starting to see that fruit, I would check to see if God knows you, and you know him through his son, Jesus. Paul explains this in detail in Romans chapter 6. Um, what he does in Romans chapter 5, he lays out people, are, he's trying to explain to people um, what grace is like and, and how grace overcomes sin. And, and he kind of finishes that section, uh, chapter 5, which I'm, I'm not going to read, I'm going to read 6. Um, with, hey, no matter how deep, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how bad you think you've been or how good you think you've been and failed, it doesn't matter how deep and lost and how great the sin seems, God's grace is bigger. Wherever sin abounds, God's grace abounds more, it said. And then people got confused. They're like, oh, so should we just sin more? And he answers the question. So we're going to start reading. Uh, I'm going to read this. This is not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. It's, a, again, a long passage. I guess I'm liking those today. Um, this is the first 14 verses of chapter 6. Listen closely, because he repeats himself over and over and over again, because we're stupid. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase, which is what I just kind of explained? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin, sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. If we, if we get to tack on to God, to Jesus' victory. It's not a victory in death, it's victory in resurrection. We die with him, but we raise again to new life with him. That's the win. We really focus on Christ's death a lot. We need to focus on Christ's resurrection because it's real today in you now. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Again, he's going to get repetitive here because we're stupid. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. No longer slaves. For he who has died is freed from sin. Freedom. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Repeat. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He doesn't need to die over and over again to sin. He took it. He beat it. It's already defeated. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. That's eternal that's not a once and done. That's forever, every day, living new in Christ's life. Even so, consider yourselves. He's talking to believers here. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there's the command. 
I want you to hear this. Here's the command. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't do it. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. Can I get an Amen. You, for the first time in the history of the universe, since Christ came, had the power to not sin. I'm really a little tired of a little phrase I hear people say. Don't get up in the morning and tell yourself, well, I'm pretty sure I'll probably sin today because I'm imperfect. Stuff it. Why would you do that? You get up in the morning and you say, I'm going to walk in steps ordered by God because he is in me. The power of God's spirit is creating a path for me and I'll walk in it. And I believe he has strength. I don't have it. I believe he has strength to keep me in his, in his love, keep me in his way. Stop this. Oh, I'll probably sin today. Knock it off. Because if you say that, you will. Because you're saying, I don't believe God's got the strength. If his spirit's in you, can his spirit sin? No. Now, looking back, do I look back at the last year of my life and say, there were some times I sinned in there? Yeah. But there was not a day, not one time, that I said, I'll probably sin this week or I'll probably sin today. That's a lie. And it's not from God, it's lie from hell. And we're commanded. This wasn't like a, this wasn't like a, oh, you know, it's probably a good idea that you try not to let sin rule. He says, don't do it. See, freedom from the, in the world's, in the world's eyes, freedom looks like this. I'm, uh, I, I, get, I get to call the shots. We just had Independence Day, right? We're, as our country, we get to self-govern. In the world, this is how it works. I say, well, I have freedom. I can go to that state, or I can go to that state, or I can own a gun, or I can shoot fish in my bathtub, or I can do whatever I want. I can eat Cheerios. I can eat Fruit Loops. I know I'm a grown-up. I can eat Fruit Loops. I can eat the whole box in one sitting. Whatever. That's not how God's kingdom is. God says, no, freedom is slavery to me, because only I can give you the perfect purpose for your life that you were made for. Only I can give you the joy, the peace, the strength to rule with me. We were supposed to rule over the world, but we blew it. You see, when we surrender our lives fully to God, here's what we get. This is what slavery to God looks like. We get his joy. We get his power. We get to live in his authority. We get full relationship with him. We reflect his image to creation. There's no better place to be, but we choose over and over again to walk away and be slaves to sin. And by the way, that little slide we just had up, that's called salvation. That's what being saved is. You get things. It's not just being saved from hell. Gosh, that's ridiculous. Jesus came to give life because you're not going to be alive in hell. That's death. All you got to know is he came to give life. Quit worrying about being out of hell. I'm getting long, so I'm going to cut to the chase. Uh, we're going to skip the last slide. Anybody in here that hasn't come to this knowledge? 
Anyone feel like they haven't surrendered to what Christ offers you? As I've talked today, have you thought, hey, man, mm, I've, been, I've been trying to do it in my own strength. Because when I said it's free and available, I mean it is, and I mean it is right now. Jesus died 2,300, whatever years ago. His life continues today in 2021. And his new life he offers to you is continual and available today in 2021. Today, right now, in this place, Jesus is here. His Holy Spirit's here. God's here. And he wants to free you. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, the band's going to come out. We'll sing a song after. But listen. Surely there's somebody here that your heart's just, man, just stirring. It's like you've probably got a fast pulse. I've been in the seat, man. I've been there, okay? So here's what it feels like. Your heart's racing. You're thinking he's going to ask me to do something stupid, isn't he? He's, he's going to want me to make some decision that I know I should be making. And God's got me. I mean, I'm, I'm, my heart rate's up. My, I'm breathing fast. I'm getting sweat under my, ring, my pits there, right? I, I know I've been there. But listen, that's the enemy saying, don't you do it. Don't you, don't you fool. Your, don't, don't be a fool in front of these people. Somebody's going to see so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, if, if, that, if God is working on you, and don't talk yourself out of thinking God's talking to you. If he's talking to you, I want you to do something bold. Yeah, I'm going to do something scary. I, I want you to come down here. I want you to get up from your seat and come down here. And I'm going to pray and celebrate with you. We're not going to embarrass anybody. There's no tricks, no gimmicks. This is God's work, not David's work. Nobody in these seats that's come to Jesus hasn't been in that seat where they're like, I just don't know if I can walk down there or I can receive Jesus. I, what I don't want to do is have you leave here and, and miss an opportunity. I don't want you to think, well, that's weird. Don't worry about what's weird and normal. God was weird all through Scripture. Jesus made mud out of some dirt and rubbed it on some guy's eyes, okay? Weird is normal for God. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God moves in this room right now to bring somebody to know him. He wants you to encounter him. And this is the burning bush. This is an opportunity. He wants you to turn your head and notice. And then he wants you to walk over. So I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, the band will come out. But um, listen, be bold. <laughs> You'll never regret it. You'll walk in the peace you've never seen before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just lift you up, Lord, as the Lord of creation, as he who reigns over his creation, and he who has ordained us to be the image bearers of his life. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit is walking right now to and fro in these rows, Father, that someone's heart, Father, who, whoever you have decided to reveal yourself to today, Father, that they would just move. I pray against the fear of the enemy that would say, oh, I'll be weird. Lord, I pray against any untruth that would be present in their minds or in their hearts. Lord, I just pray, Father, for redemption to flow, that they would walk with these other brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, help us who are believers, Father, to recognize how we're doing it halfway, how we're still trying to own and grab the wheel. We just need to back off and let go, that we can walk in the freedom, and we don't have to be slaves to sin. You've given us strength to beat that temptation, to overcome it. Lord, I praise your name.
for the gift of your salvation. And I praise you, Father, for the gift of your word that teaches us how to walk in it. In Jesus' precious name, amen.